0: Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear!' But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word.
1: So I want to reuse a illustration. I I, I want to share something I've shared with you my first Christmas that I was here. Uh, And and this is uh, just fits perfectly today's story. A long time ago, I came across this uh, personality assessment that one of the ways they divided people was that you're either a a maximizer or a minimizer. Maximizers tend to react quickly and strongly to all things because, you know, everything is like an immediate big threat you got to respond to. Minimizers do the exact opposite. Minimizers kind of step back from the situation because the most important thing is don't lose your head. Let's bring everything down to size and let's figure out what we should do calmly and orderly. Like I found this meme that I think illustrates the difference between the two personalities. The the minimizer says, keep calm and carry on. The maximizer says, panic and freak out. Let's get to action, people, right? I tend to be a minimizer. That's just my natural personality. At uh, St. Luke's, or I was previously, Jamelin used to joke that whenever the staff had problems, she would just say, keep calm and ask Dave, because that was kind of the way I generally respond to things. Let's just bring it down to size, let's take a deep breath, let's figure out how to fix this and what to do next. And and there's a lot of times where being a minimizer kind of helps in that regard. There are also times and situations where it is not so helpful particularly in a moment of crisis, like if immediate action is needed. I remember once I was cooking with some friends. I think this was yeah, this was when I was in college, and, uh, and a grease fire popped up, right? Now, my friend sprung to immediate action, like she dug through the pantry and found the flour and doused it and everything. What was Dave doing the entire time, this whole drama? It only lasted a few minutes, but so what did I do the entire time? Hold on. Keep calm, everybody. I did nothing. Like she said, you are frozen on the spot, and we needed to move quickly before the fire. got. Minimizer isn't always the best thing you can be. It's also not so great around Christmas, because Christmas is made for maximizers. Buddy the elf is a maximizer, right? That's what makes him so joyful and fun. Everything's huge. And I can tell you, especially when it comes to giving and you know, receiving gifts, maximizers have the edge. Because it is so much fun to give a gift to a maximizer. My wife is a maximizer and when I give her a gift, I get to see her run through the gamut of emotions, right? Like she's excited, she squeals, she hugs, she tears up, you know, like all those kinds of things. Unfortunately, she does not have the same pleasure when she gives me gifts. When Jamelin gives me a gift, usually no matter how much I enjoy it or love the gift, my immediate response is usually something like "Oh, cool." "That's great." "Thanks. I appreciate that." You know, that's about and that's like the high level for me. Like sometimes I just open it and then just set it aside and she's like, "Wait, what do you, you know, I just don't react bigly to, you know, to gifts like that." And so years ago my 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 brother-in-law overhearing that this was a problem, said, okay, Dave, I'm going to coach you. And so he, he actually tried to coach me on phrases I needed to say, like, like, hot dang, I needed one of these, or amazing, you know, like, just so I could fake my way through it to pretend to be a maximizer. Anyway, the nice part, and this is the truth for all of us, is that maximizers and minimizers tend to find each other, you know, you know, in, in your home. Not everyone is, can be a maximizer, or else you just stress each other out the whole time. And, and by the same token, not everyone could be a minimizer, or else you'd be really, really boring. So we tend to find each other and work it all out together. But I think about the Holy Family, and I think especially about Mary. And I've always tended to connect with Mary because to me, she strikes me as a fellow minimizer, right? When the angels appear multiple times in the biblical story... When the angel first appears to Zechariah in the Gospel of Luke, what does Zechariah do? He freaks out. He can't speak for 12 months afterwards. Like, that's how overwhelmed he is. When the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, what's their reaction? They are terrified. When the angel appears to Mary, she's perplexed about what kind of greeting this may be. You know, just doesn't have a huge reaction. When the angel then tells her that she's going to, to, you know, give birth to God's own son, the long-awaited Messiah, she doesn't start strutting and say, in your face, all you mean girls who thought you were so good. She, she says, let it be unto me, according to your word, about as understated a yes as is possible. On the night of Jesus' birth, when the shepherds, you know, come down from the hills and come to the stable, and they're telling this story about this chorus of angels that appeared to them, and it's amazing and wonderful. And Joseph's passing out cigars and high-fiving and they're dosy-doing, like, you know, oh brother, we're out there, and the soggy bottom boys, like they're having a blast. What is Mary doing? She sits back, and she treasures and ponders all these things in her heart. She is a minimizer through and through. I love that about her. It's like, you know, that little connection we have. And so in today's story, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now, the reason she goes to visit Elizabeth is is specific, not because she hadn't seen her in a long time, Because this is the sign that the angel gave her when he told her the good news that she was going to give birth to Jesus. He said, now your cousin Elizabeth, who is, go to the next slide if you don't mind. Even Elizabeth, your relative, she's going to have a child in her old age. She was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And so... You know, Mary, I'm sure at some point was thinking, did I just dream this up? Was this just, you know, a hallucination? Well, I'm going to go see my cousin Elizabeth and see if this thing is true so that I can know if this is real in my life as well. So she goes to visit Elizabeth to find out if Elizabeth is pregnant. When she sees Elizabeth, sure enough, Elizabeth is pregnant. And when Elizabeth greets her, she, she, when she hears Mary's voice, the child inside her womb, John the Baptist, kicks, leaps. And Elizabeth is so overwhelmed with this experience. She says, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would believe his pro- f- fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth is a maximizer. She goes from the experience of, oh, my baby kicked, which, as I granted, as a guy, I have no idea what that experience is like. I, I mean, I'm sure it's really cool. I'm sure it's amazing. But to go from that to, the child in my womb heard your voice, recognized, you, even though he's never heard you before, and recognized you as the mother of my Lord, our long-awaited Messiah, that is a huge leap. She maximizes in every way. And I would expect, as a true minimizer, Mary would respond to her and say, Whoa, 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 let's just slow down here. Let's just back this train up a little bit. Like, like, like did you eat something spicy last night? Are you having a little gas right now? Let's, let's bring this down to size. Except that's not what Mary does. In this moment, she doesn't minimize. She maximizes. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Do you see that? She magnifies. She maximizes the salvation of God. She begins with her own experience she says, for the Lord, go to the next slide, for, the, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She recognizes God's done something good for me. But she doesn't just stop there. She places her own personal experience In the ongoing context, the ongoing story of God's salvation, his promises all the way back to Abraham and all of their descendants. He says, for his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. You see what she does? She takes her own personal experience of being lifted up and honored. And she says, this is what God does for all. He, he takes, like, you pay attention to the verbs in the story, in, the, in this little song. She, he, he says, to the proud, to the proud, to the powerful. To the rich he scatters, he brings down, he sends them away empty, but to the lowly, to the poor, to the humble, to the faithful, he extends his mercy, he lifts them up, he fills them with good things. She magnifies to the nth degree the glory of our God based on her own personal experience. Now, of course, we are pretty good in today's world at magnifying and minimizing things, right? Don't you always do that on your phone? Like, if you want to magnify something, what do you do with your fingers? That's all you got to do. If you want to zoom in and see a little bit more about something, or, you know, just just, boop, right there, you can see it. And if you were like, hey, I need to take a step back, what do you do? That's, that's all we do with that little motion. We magnify and we minimize all the time. But we don't just do that with images. We also do it with information, right? That's what our phones help us do, is they, mag- they either maximize or minimize all the time. Maximize and minimize. You can take just about any particular problem in the world, find an isolated example, and whoop! You can blow it up to all kinds of proportions if you want. And we do this on a regular basis. About a year ago, Bob Drawley, our Director of Congregational Care, gave me a book called Factfulness, you know, gripping title, right, Factfulness, but he said, this is a book, he said, I think you'll enjoy reading it, so I read it over vacation, and not only did I enjoy it, I loved it, it blew me away, and what made it so interesting is it began with a a quiz, a test. And I'm going to give you like five questions from the test, but if you would like to take it yourself, it's, you don't have to buy the book. You can just go to factfulnessquiz.com and take it yourself sometime. But here are the questions. I'm just giving you five out of the examples he gave. So question number one, what is the average life expectancy of the world today? Everyone living in the world today, what's the average life expectancy? If you want, you can like pull out one of those pens, write down your answers so you don't forget. But 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old. How long is the life expectancy in the world today? Question two. There are 2 billion children in the world today between the ages of 10 and 15 years old. According to the UN, what is the estimated population of children in 2100? Is it 2 billion, 3 billion, or 4 billion? Question number three. How did the deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last 100 years? Did it double? Did it remain the same? Was it cut in half? Question four. In 1996, tigers, giant pandas, and black rhinos were all listed as endangered. How many of these three species are more endangered today Two of them, one of them, none of them. Last question for today. How many of the world's one-year-old children have been vaccinated against some form of disease? 20%, 50%, or 80%? Okay. Let's see how you did. Question one. What's the average life expense of the world today? 70 years old. Actually, 72, 71.8. So it's more than, across the world, all peoples living more than 70 years old. Question two, there are two billion children in the world today. How many do we have in 2100? Two billion. Is that a surprise to some of you? Because we think of population growth in the world is like a hockey stick, like going up forever. But in fact, it's more like an S-curve. Like it's gone up, but it's already beginning to level out. So all kinds of neat stuff about global population in that book, Factfulness. Question three, how do the deaths per year from natural disasters change? Cut in half. We hear all about natural disasters all the time. Less than half. In fact, It's over 75% less deaths today. Question four. How many of those three species are more endangered today? The answer is none. Now, that does not mean that they are not endangered. The key word is the more endangered. Some of them are still in that category of endangered, but there are, in all cases, all three of those species, there are more today in the world than there were 25 years ago. And last, question number five. How many of the world's one-year-old children have been vaccinated against some form of disease? The answer is, in fact, 88%. Now, how did you do? Anyone? Well, don't raise your hands if you got all the questions right. Don't show off or whatever. Go take the test and see how you do. Uh, I I set it up a little bit, but I... the thing I want to, if you take the test, if you go to the website and do it, it'll tell you afterwards, like, here's your percentage that you got right. And then it also shows you, here's the percentage you know, of the however many thousands of people have taken this online test. Here's the average score. And when I took it, A, I was a little proud that I was above the average. B, I was also amazed at how many of the questions I missed. And it wasn't just that I missed them. This is the point of the book. It's not just that we miss. It's that we tend to miss all of us in the same direction, to the more cynical side. In fact, in some cases, this is the interesting part, for some of those questions, the average of all responses is under 33%. Remember, there's only three options. And so they make the point that a monkey choosing blindly between three options would score higher than the people who are taking these tests. And why is that? Because the monkey doesn't have any misinformation to sort through. Every single one of us. It's not just that we're not informed, it's that in some cases we've been misinformed and this is not just the problem of fake media or, or any of that stuff, and it doesn't, it's not just a problem of left-wing news or right-wing news, but it's all news has a bias to it. And they, they describe the bias this way, it's, it's the dramatic news bias, that we are, every single one of us, hardwired to, we are drawn to stories and examples that seem dramatic to us. They stick in our brain a little bit more. They... they you know, the, 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 we're drawn to the headlines that, you know, tap into some fear that we carry about the world. We're drawn to the stories that incite in us a sense of outrage and anger. That's what fuels us. That's what we keep clicking on. And the more we maximize those stories, the more we maximize our sense of outrage and fear. What happens to our hope? What happens to our peace? What happens to our joy? They all get steadily minimized. Years ago I heard a a worship leader named Matt Meyer. Some of you may know Matt Meyer, he's a songwriter. In fact, he wrote the song, Let There Be Peace, that we sang at the opening of worship today. And he was leading worship at this conference I was attending, and I, it was one of those things. Like Frank, will usually talk for like you know thirty seconds between songs. Matt Meyer said this, and it always stuck with me. He says, "When we worship, we magnify our God, and that doesn't mean that it's you know escapism. That we're putting our heads in the sand and pretending that the problems of the world don't exist. It's not like we you know we're we're minimizing the brokenness of the world or minimizing the brokenness of our lives. Instead." We're magnifying who God is, God's strength, God's love, God's healing, God's hope, God's grace. And the more we maximize those things, the more our hope and our confidence grows. We magnify God, not to forget about the problems in the world, but to set them beside. God's unbreakable commitment to mend his broken creation. Next to that, everything else falls into its proper perspective. And I would tell you that this is what Christmas is about at its heart. is It's, it's about magnifying. We take this story about a little child born in a lowly manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, to a teenage mother visited by lowly shepherds in a little insignificant part of the world. We talk about this, this family that'll live as political migrants for the next few years of their lives. And what do we do? We magnify. To see in this child a sign of hope to see in this child a promise of peace, to see in this child a cause for joy, to see in this child a gift of the Father's unfailing love. We maximize the good news of God's salvation for all the world. And I would say it's not just in worship we do this, and this is where we take Matt Mars one step beyond. It's not just that we're called to sing of God's glory, but it's in everything we do, we are called to magnify God's hope, to magnify the good news of the kingdom. A couple weeks ago, I put out a call. I said, we need turkeys to send down to the Haitian church. 89 turkeys showed up within two days here at our church. We got to take them down. It was awesome. Today, a big group of us is going to go back down to the Haitian church and be part of their holiday celebration meal and. We we magnify God's goodness. That same Sunday when I put out the call, I don't know how many, there were over 100 of you were down in the Great Hall in the gym and you were packing macaroni and cheese. 15,000 meals got packed in a little bit over an hour. And those go to all of our food banks. I don't even know how many socks and underwear we're going to collect. I guarantee it'll be a mountain by the time it's all done. I look at all those presents that are wrapped right outside these sanctuary doors arranged around uh, those Christmas trees. And I think about the 250 children who are going to get to celebrate Christmas, a Christmas from their parents who are incarcerated because you've been the hands and feet of Christ. We maximize, we maximize, we maximize, we magnify the ongoing work of God's salvation in the world because what Mary proclaimed is still true. He lifts up the lowly. He extends his mercy to those who need it. He fills the poor with good things. And and here's the thing, when we get to be the hands and feet of that, it doesn't just magnify hope and the heart of the one who receives the gift, it magnifies hope in the heart of the giver as well. And so my charge to you is this, this Christmas season, magnify God's goodness. Opportunities abound every single day, right? Where you get the chance to pass on a kind word to someone who needs it. Or to perform a random act of kindness for a stranger, someone you just bump into. Magnify, keep your eyes open for every opportunity you get to magnify the story of God's goodness and salvation in the world. Don't minimize. Don't minimize. Don't be like me when I'm opening this. Don't minimize. Because it's so easy to do with just a random criticism or unkind word. You can minimize someone's hope. You can cut them down to size in a heartbeat. Don't do it. And you know there are people out there that only know how to magnify themselves by minimizing others. And if you experience someone minimizing your joy, your peace, your hope, remember Mary. Remember to magnify our God and just sing with her. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation for he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said unto our fathers. May we give thanks that the God of whom Mary sang is the God we continue to serve, whose good news continues to abound in our world. Amen.